0: As we come together and despite these troubling and challenging times that we're in, I am so thankful that we have this platform that we're able to still meet together. We know it's been a crazy couple of weeks and it's been a painful couple of weeks and just the things that have been happening have just broken my heart and I know that they've broken a lot of your hearts as well. So I am so thankful that we're able to come together this morning and really just put all of those things aside, leave all of those things in the periphery, and just spend some time focusing on each other and focusing, more importantly, on God. So thank you so much for being with us. I am glad that you chose to spend your Sunday morning here, getting your cup filled and being uplifted and really just focusing on our amazing god so thank you for being here and let's jump into today's lesson so we're going to continue talking today about building the muscles of cultural discernment now last week we kind of detoured from that and we really talked about radical love and what that looks like because I felt like that was an important message that I wanted to share with you guys because of all of the things that are going on in our world now this week we're going to jump back into our building cultural discernment and then next week I cannot wait for next week because instead of preaching to a bunch of empty people I get to see your smiling faces. So I am so thankful for that. I'm thankful that things are starting to get more back to normal of whatever that normal is going to look like for us. But I cannot wait to see all of you here next week. So let's jump into today's lesson about building resilient faith. And we are going to be talking about cultural discernment and what that looks like. And we're going to look at some examples as well. But just to remind you of what we are looking at here is we're looking at some Barna research that we've been going over for the last few weeks. And this is what prompted us to go through this series and These are kind of the findings that they came up with. Now, we've talked a lot about the statistical side of this over the last few weeks, and the statistics are quite staggering and they're quite disturbing. But today, I want to really look at what they determined based on those statistics. So let's jump in and look at some of the things that they found. They found that the morals of America are more representative of Sodom and Gomorrah than the kingdom of God. That, that alone should be enough for us to dive into a series like this because that is a staggering, staggering fact because we know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. They also found that people's religious beliefs have only an indirect and diminishing relationship to the teaching of the Bible. I don't think that's any big surprise that as time goes by, we tend to, tend to, tend to drift farther and farther away from what the Bible says. We see trust and confidence in the institutions designed to foster appropriate living from churches to government are justifiably plummeting. I don't think that's any big surprise that we're starting to lose faith in some of the very institutions that we should be able to put our faith in. It says the political system has turned chaotic, unproductive, and most Americans no longer believe the system serves them well or is even trying. I'm not going to get into a political conversation, but I think that one kind of sort of speaks for itself. It says, people's lifestyles are characterized by behaviors and goals that are the opposite of that which pleases God. And a majority of our country's churches seem to have lost sight of their God-given purpose and have proven to be ineffective in leading people back to the righteous path. That one really hits home for me because I see this happening a lot. I see that a lot of churches have gone into a mode of entertainment or they've gone into a mode of how many people can we pack into the building on a Sunday? And it's become more about theatrical and more about putting on a show than it has been of truly teaching people the truth and truly pointing them back to Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that we never go down that road. But I've certainly seen that become a trend. And I've even seen churches kind of losing losing the focus of who they really are and who God has designed them to be for the simple fact of pleasing people. We don't want to do that. See, we want to be a church that is continually pointing people back to Jesus Christ because that's what it's all about. And that's what we're called to do as a church. So let's look at this idea of cultural discernments and the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible, a Christ follower, believes God gave us the Bible for something more than just pleasure reading. We, we seem to have lost our focus on what the Bible actually means to us as Christians. Because we've seen so much that people take the Bible and they take bits and pieces out and they take bits and pieces over here and they take bits and pieces over here and they take things completely out of context and they've made the Bible say things that the Bible wasn't intended to say. And it's not just something that we should be reading through. It's something that we should be applying to our daily lives. Now, I love what David Young says. He says, I'm advocating reading scripture for transformation and not just for information. Are we transformed by the things that we read in the Bible, or is it simply there for information? Do we go to the Bible to find our inspiration and to truly be transformed, or do we simply go to the Bible to prove a point or to win an argument? What's the purpose of the Bible? The purpose is for us to find out what God wants us to do. Because if we don't know what God wants us to do, then how can we truly follow him? And how can we build that relationship with him if we don't know who he is and how he feels about us and that amazing love that he has for us? It's so important and we've got to make sure that we remember that. So let's look at a definition of cultural discernment. Because so I know that's kind of a strange word and maybe you're not quite sure exactly what we're looking at. But cultural discernment is simply the ability to compare the beliefs, values, customs, and creation of the world we live in with those of the world we belong to. So cultural discernment is this idea of taking these things that are, that are around us, right? Because we don't live in a bubble, It's taking these things that are around us and saying, wait a minute, is this what I should be doing, thinking, acting based on what God has told me to do? It's this whole idea of being in the world, but not of the world. And once we have made the comparison to anchor our lives to the theological, moral, and ethical norms of God's kingdom. It's not just enough to know what the Bible says. It's not just enough to know that we need to follow Jesus Christ if our actions aren't backing that up. And that's what this whole idea of cultural discernment is about. It's thinking like a Christian, but not only thinking like a Christian, but acting like a Christian in everything that we say and do. And that's what this idea of cultural discernment is about. And it ties into this idea of building, right, building resilient disciples because a resilient disciple stays the course even when things get difficult and even when things get challenging. And we know that this has been a challenging time for all of us. And maybe this has even been a time that has tested your faith from the standpoint of you don't really understand what's going on or maybe you've been scared by the things that you're seeing. Or maybe we've had to stop and take some stock in who we really are and how Jesus would respond to this situation. And we talked about that last week, that Jesus loves everyone and that everyone is made in God's image. And see, that's part of what cultural discernment is all about. It's understanding how Jesus would have us to think and act. And he would have us to love everyone. So maybe this is perfect timing for this This whole cultural discernment based on everything that's going on. Because throughout this time, have we thought and acted in a way that Jesus would have us to act? Joshua knew it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. And it says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, it says in whose land you are living, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, the last part of that verse is probably a memory verse for you, and it's probably a verse that you've heard and seen, and I've seen it on bumper stickers and on stickers on the wall, and and it's maybe one of those first kind of Old Testament uh, passages that you start to memorize. But, But we really have to back up in this verse and look at what it's talking about. It says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Because it's talking about, are you going to serve the God of your land or are you going to serve the one true and living God? See, that's a decision that we have to make every day. Are we going to let the ways of the world dictate how we act and think and behave? Or are we going to let God decide how we're going to act, think and behave? And that's this whole idea of cultural discernment. Joshua got it, right? He gets it. Do we get it? I don't know. I can't answer that question. But I hope that we do. And I hope that we choose every day that for me and my household, we're going to serve the God that we serve and the God that we love and the God that sent his son for us. Paul prayed for it. If we look at Ephesians, and we're actually going to look at uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. But starting in verse 15, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, it says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. If We continue in verse 17. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. It says the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And I want to focus right there in the middle in verse 17, where it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. See, Paul is praying that these people at the church at Ephesus, where he's writing this letter to, that they will understand what it is that God would have them to do, and that then they would put that into practice. You see, he's praying for these people to have cultural discernment, to make those right decisions. Because remember, at this time that Paul's writing these epistles, he's writing... To a very small number of people when you look at the large scale of things. See, this is the early church. The church is just getting started. The church is just starting to take hold. So the majority of the people didn't yet believe in Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that at this time, the church at Ephesus, what they were dealing with is a lot of people there were into this spirituality and the mysticism and magic and things like that. And not the kind of magic that we're thinking of when we think of going to see a magician, but they believed in these supernatural powers. And Paul is reminding them that that's not what's important. What I want for you is for you to have the wisdom and the revelation of God to know the difference and to make the right choices each and every day. The world is not committed to Jesus. It says, we have not committed ourselves to the purpose he has for each of us. So see, we have a vision problem, right? We've not committed ourselves to the purpose that he has. We're not seeing the true purpose that God has placed on our lives. So we have a vision problem. It says, we are not willing... To pay the price of becoming who he made and calls us to be. So we're not transforming ourselves. We have a transformation problem. We're not truly transforming into what he wants us to be. And lastly, it's our worldview. It says we do not behave like Jesus because we do not think like Jesus. Each of us have a worldview. And maybe you've spent some time kind of fleshing out what your worldview is, and maybe you haven't. And maybe, like most people, your worldview kind of changes as you go along. But do we really think like Jesus? Do we pray that we will do what Jesus would want us to do? Do we really stop and think, and I know it's cliche, the whole what would Jesus do thing, but honestly it's so important that we really take the time to stop and think about what would Jesus do? Or maybe more importantly, what would Jesus have me to do? And see, when we start thinking about that, we're building the muscles of cultural discernment when in everything that we do and the decisions that we make, we're asking ourselves, is this what Jesus would have me to do? Cultural discernment is not just about pointing out what is wrong. And we've seen a lot of that lately, right? Some people are experts in pointing out the problems, right? Hey, this needs to change. Hey, this needs to change. Hey, that's a problem. We've got enough people doing that, right? But it's developing the muscles of cultural discernment means we point to God's plan for righteousness and live that out in ourselves. It's not enough to just point out the things that are wrong and that need to change. We've got to take the actions that back that up. Because it's not enough just to know. We've got to be doers. Let's stop just pointing the finger and saying, hey, this needs to change. We need to stop doing this. We need to love everybody. But what are we doing about it? are we ourselves making that change so that other people can see that change in us and hopefully be pointed back to Jesus? Because, see, the unchurched or the non-believer may not pick up a Bible and they may not walk through the back doors of the church. But your actions and your words can be used to point them back to Jesus. Because, see, when we do things that are countercultural. It points back to Jesus. And hopefully people will see that in, the, in us. And they'll say, hey, there's something different about him. What is it? And it opens up those doors and it opens up those conversations to say, the reason I don't do X, Y, Z is because of the love that I have for Jesus Christ. It opens up the doors to those amazing conversations that we get to have with people as we get to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's how we do it. That's how we spread that word. It starts with our actions. Because I'll tell you right now, if our actions don't back up our words, then people are not going to be attracted to that. If they say, well, this person claims to be a Christian, but then they're out doing whatever they want, and they're out being in the world and of the world, That's not going to be the example that we need to set that's going to point them back to Jesus Christ. The salt and the light. And this is very common. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. We're called to be the salt of the earth. So are we really doing that or have we lost our saltiness? Have we forgotten that even though we know what God would have us to do, our actions have just not backed that up? Are we still one foot in and one foot out? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Have we lost our saltiness? Have we not continued to be a light to the world that we live in? The light in the darkness. The light that portrays Jesus Christ in everything that we say and do. It says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And again, it's this idea of our actions speaking louder than our words. In Matthew chapter 5, and we're not going to read it for time purposes, but as we continue through Matthew chapter 5, there is six times in this chapter that Jesus says, you have heard it said X, Y, Z. You've heard it said this about divorce. You've, said it, you've heard it said this about money. And he's addressing the different problems of the day. But see, it doesn't really matter what those problems were because then he goes on to discuss the fact that, but what I say to you. So you have heard it said, X, Y, Z, but I say. And see, that's what this idea of cultural discernment is all about. It's saying, hey, this is what they're doing and this is what they're saying, but do I have the discernment to know that that's not what I should be doing as a Christian? I need to be over here listening to what Jesus said. Six times in Matthew chapter 5 does he give that example. Six times does he remind us, it's not about what you've heard, but it's about what I'm telling you now. And that is so important. 1 Kings chapter 18, this is a great, 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 great story that I love very much. And, and I would love to do like three sermons just on this story. But again, for time purposes, we're not going to do that. But we're talking about Elijah. Elijah was someone who got it. He's a hero of the Bible. And he got this idea of cultural discernment. So in our story, we've got Elijah. And he's the prophet of God. We've got Ahab, who was the king and a wicked man. We've got his wife Jezebel, who's a whole nother story and she worshipped Baal, we've got Elijah standing against culture. He was brought before the king and labeled as a troublemaker because he wouldn't conform to the norms of society. He wouldn't say, yes, I'm going to worship Baal out of fear. He wouldn't say, yes, I'm going to worship Baal because he wanted to fit in. He took a stand and said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue to worship my God, the one true and living God. It would have been really easy for Elijah to say, okay, cool, I'll do that. And we know that worshiping other gods and worshiping idols is not something that's new. That goes all the way back through the New Testament. We see it over and over again with the Israelites. Even when Moses went up to the mountain, right, to receive the Ten Commandments, when he came back down, they're worshiping the golden calf. So we know this was a common practice. But Elijah had cultural discernment and said, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. That's not for me. I'm going to continue to worship my God. Let's look at 1 Kings eighteen eighteen, where he says, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. It says, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. So he's basically saying you, you've, you've abandoned God and you've followed all these false gods. So I'm not the troublemaker, you are. But let's, let's think about that. Have you ever encountered that as a Christian? When you take a stand against things that the world accepts that we are told specifically in the Bible not to accept, what happens? We get called names. You're not open-minded enough. You don't love everyone. Because we don't necessarily accept all of the things that are happening. Elijah is such a good example of saying, no, 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 I'm not the trouble. You're the trouble. Because, see, I'm following God and you're not. So I'm not the troubled one. You're the troubled one. Now, we know the story of Elijah, and it's such a cool, cool story. But long story short, we've got Elijah, who's the prophet of God, and then we've got 450 prophets of Baal. And they're basically going to have a showdown. So let's jump ahead to 1 Kings 18.21. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. See, Elijah is calling them out. He's saying, how long are you going to have one foot in and one foot out? Pick a side. And the people were silent. Such a small, almost afterthought to that verse where it says, but the people said nothing. Nothing. Why did the people say nothing? Why didn't the people respond? Is it because Elijah was calling them out and they knew it? And they knew they'd been called on their sins and they were shameful and they didn't want to say anything? Maybe. Or were they being quiet because deep in their hearts they wanted Baal to win? And that they were hoping with this showdown that we're getting ready to talk about that Baal would come out victorious and they can say, see, we were following Baal because Baal is the true God. So let's go back to our story. So we've got Elijah, who's the prophet of God. We've got 450 prophets of Baal. And what they decide they're gonna do is they're gonna kind of have a little contest here. So the 450 prophets of Baal are gonna build an altar and they're gonna put an animal on it and they're gonna call their God to rain down fire and light this altar on fire. So they do, because what they've decided is, if that happens, then Baal is the true God. So they build an altar, and they call on their God over and over and over again throughout the entire day, and they call on their God to bring fire down, to prove that Baal is the true God. And what happens? They call on him, they call on him, they call on him, and nothing happens. Now, I want to encourage you to go back and read this story when you have time, because it's a really funny story, because you see that Elijah, during this process, actually starts kind of mocking or calling them out. He says things like, hey, maybe your God's in the restroom, things like that. And it's actually really, it's it's a really entertaining and fun story. It's actually one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. But they, they did this throughout the day, right? And nothing happened. So now it's Elijah's turn. So Elijah's going to build his altar, and he's going to set up his stones, and he's going to put the calf on there. And then he kind of takes it to the next level. And that's why I say on the slide that he showed off a little bit. So not only did Elijah build his altar, but he he had them bring in water and douse the entire altar in water. Now, if you've ever tried to build a campfire, or you've ever tried to build any kind of fire with wet wood, You know how that works. It just doesn't happen. You can't build a fire out of wet wood. So he builds his altar and he calls on God to come down. And sure enough, God sends the fire down. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. God answered when Elijah called out. And these 450 prophets of Baal saw this. And they fell down on their knees and they said, Yes, this is the one true and living God. See, they'd been walking that path one foot in and one foot out until they saw God in action. See, Elijah got it. He understood that he had to not only know and stand up for God, but he had to use actions to back that up. And when he called on God, God through the Holy Spirit, who is often referred to as fire in the Bible, but God sent fire down and burnt up everything on the altar, including the ground, the stones, the water, everything. Elijah got it. So some food for thought. Are we like the people of Baal? Do we have one foot in, one foot out? Or have we let the world take over and said, "Eh, I know better, but I'm just gonna keep doing my thing I'm going to keep enjoying these things of the world instead of truly putting those things aside and following God. Because I I serve a loving, forgiving God. I can just do whatever I want and he's going to forgive me no matter what. We know that that's not what the Bible teaches. Do we have one foot in and one foot out? Are we lukewarm? We know what the Bible says about lukewarm, right? We're not called to be lukewarm. We're not called to have one foot in one foot out. We're called to know what God would have us to do, to know that that's not the ways of the world, and then to do something about it. We've got to decide to go all in and fully commit to Jesus. Because that's the only way that we're going to turn these staggering statistics that we've been looking at around is if we go all in in for Jesus, not one foot in and one foot out, or yes, I know that's what I should be doing, but that's not what I want to do. We've got to live it out on a daily basis. Let's look at one last scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, Paul to the church at Corinth. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought To make it obedient to Christ. See, we have to make decisions every single day. Are we gonna follow God or are we gonna follow the world? So maybe you haven't fully committed your life to Jesus Christ and you want to do that and you want to be baptized for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit please don't hesitate to reach out and we will make that happen. Or maybe you're a Christian and you just have continued to keep one foot out and one foot in. What a great opportunity for you to go to your Father in prayer and make that right today. Because see, there's no reason to wait for tomorrow because we're not promised tomorrow. Why not be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ right here and right now. And if we can help you with that in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out to myself, to the office or any of the elders, and we will be more than happy to help you do that. So I wanna encourage you to reflect on that and to think about that and to think about where you're at when it comes to cultural discernment as we sing this next song together. Lord reign in me, reign in your power
1: over all my dreams
0: in my darkest hour you are the lord of all Thank you so much for joining us here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ this morning. We are so thankful to have you with us, and we cannot wait till next weekend when we will get to see some of you live here in person. So would you please join me in a word of closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to come together to just really stop and think about where we're at with our walk with you and where we need to be. And we pray that you will help us continue to build those muscles of cultural discernment to not only know what it is that you would have us to do, but to live that out in our daily lives. Heavenly Father, be with us this week. Watch over us, protect us, and please continue to bless us in any way that you see fit. Thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Well thank you so much for joining us here this morning uh, next Sunday we will still have our online children's worship at 10:15 and we'll have our live worship service here at the building at 10:30 if you've not already done so please be sure to RSVP so we know how many folks to expect thank you so much and have a great day save my soul love never gonna let me go